0: Hello and welcome to Tales from the Leeds Library, the Leeds Library's podcast series in which we talk to members of our extended community about their lives, their work and their relationship to books, libraries and literature. Founded in 1768, the Leeds Library is the oldest surviving subscription library in the UK. And throughout this series, we'll also be diving periodically into the Library's rich history to find out what makes us and our members one of the most interesting and unique cultural institutions in Leeds and the UK. I'm Molly McGrath, the Projects Assistant at the Leeds Library, and today our guest is Eva Larkin. Eva is currently the Collections Librarian at the Leeds Arts University. She has an academic background in art history, curating and preventative conservation and started her library career in fellow independent, Manchester-based library, The Portico. Okay, so hello Aoife, welcome. Thank you for talking to me today. Thanks for Um, having me. So, first of all, you're currently the Collections Librarian for Leeds Arts University. Um, And I guess I kind of want to talk about this first before we we talk about libraries a bit more. So can you tell me a bit... um, independent libraries, even. <laughs> Can you tell me a little bit more about uh, what this role involves um, and the kind of different collections that you have at the university?
1: Yeah, sure. So um, I started as the collections librarian at Leeds Ice University about a year ago now. Um, it was at the beginning of last March. Um, and the role day-to-day really involves running the, the library service for the university. Um, There are two sites, one at Blenheim Walk and Vernon Street, and there's a library at each. Mm. And we're just a small team, really. There are um, eight of us all together. Um, And I basically kind of co manage the service with my colleague, Theo Stubbs, who's the digital librarian. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, it's it's mostly (laughs) running the library service. But as you can tell from uh, the distinction in our job titles, Theo focuses on digital and I focus on Mm -hmm. collections, meaning special collections and archives and physical collections, those kinds of things. So our roles are really integrated in terms of running the service together, Mm. um, but then we have these sort of separate specialisms as well. So um, my role does involve managing those other special collections and archives um, and, uh, and um, I suppose promoting access to those. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Can you tell me about the the special collections? What kind of texts you have? Yeah. Um, I imagine that it is. Well, it's a, it's an arts university, so it will be a specialized library. But what does that involve when you're when you're buying, I guess, or when you're kind of getting books in? And yeah, what kind of areas do you tend to specialize in?
1: So the special collection was um, kind of established actually by a combination of uh, staff who were teaching at the university or at Leeds College of Art, as it was then, mm-hmm. and and people working in the library who just had a, a love of and an interest in, in special collections and, and special books and artist books. The original um, remit for collecting was to just bring together artist books specifically, um, and the idea was that um, as many different kinds of artist books would be brought together and assembled and then used as a as a kind of teaching resource for the students mm-hmm. to show them all the possibilities available to them in thinking about making publications and making books and books as artworks. Um, but now that's actually just uh, one sub-collection. We have two more sub-collections in the special collections. One is photo books mm-hmm. um, and um, it's not an enormous collection. It's not an, or- an enormous collection by any means. In general, I think we have something like two thousand five hundred items in the special collections altogether. So it's it's a relatively young and small collection, but we have about six hundred photo books, uh, some of which are really special editions, mm. really exquisite work. And then the third sub-collection is illustrative books, Okay. Um, and by illustrative books we basically mean any books where the illustrative content is the sort of primary content, mm. or the, most, the leading content. Um, so those are the three types of books that we collect, um, and it hasn't been expanded any further yet, but yeah, that's yeah. what so it looks
0: like. When you're collecting, are you, are you kind of primarily keeping up with contemporary stuff that's you know as it, as it's being published or brought out or are you looking at historic books like you know um historic illustration or photography for example or is it kind of a mixture of both what do you tend to find to what do you find that you tend to get more of
1: um i'm not sure if there's more of one thing or another but it is quite a, a variety um of different things as you say um for instance, we collect artist books that might have been made by former students mm-hmm. or made by staff as part of their own artistic process. Um, we also might buy new publications by uh, practicing artists in the UK or internationally. Mm-hmm. Um, they might not, necess- not necessarily be very expensive or valuable volumes, but they'll be like that artist's latest output, for instance. yeah. Um, we also um, might have something donated to us um and we also might acquire something that is the product of of an event or an activity that might have taken place Mm. at the university or in in association with the university okay yeah those kinds of things
0: i think there's there's often a kind of a misconception that arts courses and finance courses are um kind of quite practical and practice based and don't involve a lot of Uh, reading but I think that's you know that's definitely untrue but how do you find that that students engage with the collections Um, and yeah how do you kind of encourage that or do you do projects around that?
1: Um, Yeah I mean absolutely there's maybe a, a different kind of research going on at an arts institution but there's definitely still research going on um so that i mean the students in the first instance are there obviously for their art education and to expand their horizons in mm-hmm. terms of the the written and visual content that they're that they're absorbing so as a specialized library we might pr- provide more visual resources and there might be a great deal of visual research taking place as they're um, developing their own style their own um niche or, or subject area that they might like to explore mm. um, there's a huge amount of, of research going on in that sense um, but the um it is also a, a university and the there are researchers and, and and academics working there who have their own practice and they're all encouraged to um create their own research outputs as part of their work at the university mm-hmm. so they'll also be using the collection to inspire those um, and we actually have an open access uh, research repository where those outputs are stored online and are publicly accessible okay um, so the work that the academics and, and teaching staff are making at the university sort of becomes a learning Hotful resource entry. in its own sense yeah, yeah in its own way um, So the other things that happen are, um, I mean, for instance, engagement with the special collections. We deliver handling sessions for the students so they can come in and get to grips with the special collections and the archive and get inspired by those. Um, And uh, there used to be something called Library Interventions at Leeds Mm. Arts University, which was uh, an engagement program where artists and um, uh, researchers were invited to uh, to create some kind of uh, intervention in the library space or develop mm. a kind of a, a project or a curatorial uh, activity uh, using the collections and then that was displayed through an exhibition or an event or a happening in the library um, and that was really successful but sadly it was something that uh, the pandemic the pandemic put paid to mm. and also in that time there have been like quite a lot of staff changes at the university um, so there's now a, there's now uh, new people managing the library, <laughs> as in me and Theo, but also our manager is new as well. Um, and uh, it means that the program um, will maybe change a little bit, mm. but I think in principle it will, it will continue in the same way in, in, in wanting to encourage that um, interplay and engagement between um, research and practice and, um, and the library and, mm. and that kind of thing. Um, another kind of interesting thing to, to say about the, the structure, I suppose, of, of the, the department is that it's a little bit unorthodox because um, when Theo and I were appointed, they created new roles. Mm. Um, they, d- they had never previously had the collections librarian and digital librarian working together in those specialisms. Um, <clears throat> prior to that, they were just uh, senior librarians, as you would normally expect. Um, and we're not managed by a head of library services. You also might expect, we're managed by okay. the university curator. Mm. Um, and we're part of the curation and library services department. So um, I think that means that um, there's, a, there's a lot of engagement, a lot of communication mm. and conversation. And we're always sort of uh, thinking of one another whenever we're doing our work and mm. developing projects
0: that's really interesting and I feel that um we're kind of uh I guess at a similar stage here in that we we kind of just about to really expand and do loads of um kind of engagement work with the collection and we're really trying to kind of uh broadcast it and let people know that it's it's we've got this amazing historic collection and but yeah so it's really interesting that you've done all of this amazing kind of work with the collections and students have been able to kind of create all of this stuff and I like the idea of uh, you know, research going back into the library. Mm, yeah, That's yeah. really nice. Yeah, I love artist books, mm-hmm. but I don't read them as much as I should or engage with them as much as I should. Um, and I, I, I like that they sit in this weird middle ground between a kind of a work itself and, and then a document of the work and then kind of, you know, more of a theory-based exploration of the work or a work. Um, and they're often kind of, expensive to buy or and they sit in these kind of quite specialist um libraries like in in universities or art colleges so I guess uh this is quite a broad question but what can you tell us about art books or artist books that you've you kind of discovered or learned through working with these special collections um well one thing
1: I have learned is that they are really difficult to define, as mm. you've kind of outlined in your in your question. Um, one of the things we've, well, I've uh, definitely found, and I think is potentially an issue that other other libraries come across as well, is that it can often be really challenging um, to decide what collection an object should go into. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we often we often come across um, we often come across an item that we could justifiably decide to catalogue with the artist books or mm. in the main collection or in the archive or one of the two, um, some com- some combination. Um, and you, you just kind of have to make a call <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, artist books, um, as you say, they have this really um, sort of changing and e- evolving um, uh, function and 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 meaning um, so yeah you have to be quite willing to be flexible and adapt when working with them and 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 managing a, a collection of them um, and also storing them has been a really interesting mm. challenge to think about um, in many in many cases they are um uh, built like traditional books are um Uh, I mean, the the photo books, for instance, usually are in the traditional shape of a book, Mm, mm. um, because of course for the photographer, a huge factor in creating that book will be to disseminate their work, so they want it to be easy to transport and easy to Mm, store, mm -hmm. whereas an artist's book could be a one-off item and there's no no other example, or, you know, there's a short run of them but they're all a little bit oddly shaped or um, unusually formatted. Um, and and in our collection of artists' books, a lot of them are fairly traditionally shaped, but you do get quite a number of them cropping up where you think, hmm, where am I going to put this? Yeah. <laughs> is this, they're like oversized or they're really small or they're made of really fragile organic materials. Yeah. Like we have one that is is basically like a little bonsai tree with poems on, on pieces of paper dangling from the little branches and we'll think. Oh, that's lovely! Oh my to god, how am I hope I can look after it. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, uh, yeah, that's that's been a challenge as well. Um, mm. But um, they're fantastic to work with, and 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 another thing I really like about them is is um, is just how accessible a publishing format they are. Mm. Like, are books sort of throw open? The, the doors as to what a, a publication can be and I think it takes a much more democratic look at the way it values publications mm. and I think um, more DIY materials from subcultures and um, zines and things like that are being brought more and more into artist book collections for that reason mm. um, and they're just as important um, to preserve in yeah. many ways, So way
0: I mean it sounds like you say kind of a pain but also I imagine as as a librarian that's part of the joy of it as well, kind of discovering ways that people have, uh, you know, created books in in kind of weird and different (laughs) ways that you haven't seen before. Exactly, yeah. My next question is, uh, is do you think people should engage with artist books more? But I think I'm going to rephrase that (laughs) to ask how can people engage with artist books more? Um, And I, I guess in a kind of, you know, where can they find them, but also, how would you approach it when you're kind of, you, you've got this like maybe this tiny bonsai tree with poems hanging from it? Mm. What, what is important to bear in mind when you're kind of looking at these books?
1: Um, I guess the more unusual the format, the more difficult they are to provide access to mm. because it requires the labor of a human being to, to, to provide it for you. Um, and um, and it's that's increased tenfold, when something has to be cared for so so delicately and so preciously or in such a specific way. Um, I mean, what can I say? Look out for exhibitions yeah. <laughs> and and also um, I think for me, um, working at the portico was a huge eye-opener because mm. it was the realization that there, there are so many different kinds of libraries and so many mm. different kinds mm. of archives and resources up and down the country, many of which don't necessarily have the resources to promote themselves or promote their collections, mm. but are dying for people to see the wonderful things that they have. Mm. So I think the best thing people can do is, is keep an open mind and, yeah. and and look around for what's out there and don't be put off by uh, by places you think you might not be allowed to go to, yeah. sometimes just asking the question is all you need to do.
0: <laughs> I suppose you're, I mean we'll talk a bit about this later, but you're probably kind of ideally placed to, to think about these things because you have a kind of background in in curating and also conservation and, and working in libraries, so that's kind of the ideal blend for these really tricky texts which maybe kind of don't fit anywhere. Um, But I was going to ask you if there are any, I mean, you've talked a little bit about the bonsai tree, if there are any particular kind of texts which stand out to you from, um, I guess, either from the university collection or from the Portico that have really kind of uh, amazed you or shocked you or, I don't know, made an impression.
1: Um, I suppose that the the collection at Leeds, the, the books, I haven't sort of explicitly said so far that they're all much more modern than, mm. than anything you'd find at the portico. I, I mean, one of the things I love in the current collection, because I, I do love history, <laughs> <laughs> is, uh, is that there's, a, there's an original copy of, the, of André Breton's Surrealist Manifesto, wow. which is wonderful. But that's a bit of an anomaly. <laughs> yeah. um, most, of, most of the artist books and photo books and illustrative books we have were probably collected in the last 20, 30, 40 years. Okay um so it's a relatively uh, modern contemporary collection if you like um and i mean i always find this question so difficult mm. like it's like what's, what's your favorite what's band, your favorite isn't band? Isn't yeah. yeah what's your favorite artist i don't know <laughs> um <laughs> there are too many but um one thing that i another thing that i really love about the current collection is um that that i'm working with it, it is the presence of, of work by former staff and students, mm. um, to come across some really beautiful objects that have been made by, by students mm-hmm. during their, during the mm-hmm. courses is, is quite, um, quite astounding and some of the things they've made are really intriguing. Like one of them is a concertina book that folds out with, um, images printed on acetate so that you can, and it's, and it's a, in a box accompanied by a tiny torch and you shine the torch through the acetate to, to cast the image on mm-hmm. the wall. Um, and then there's another um, book that a student made who was a visiting student from uh, China and had made a book shaped like a suitcase and inside it was the the story of her um, I suppose her uh, I suppose it's like her migration story in a way mm. and her adaptation to um, English culture through the lens of her student experience
0: Mm -hmm. at Leeds Arts University so it's incredibly specific but um but very intimate and really I really like that and I I, there's kind of a a similar sense with the the library's collection in that it's been built up by members I don't know if it's the same at Portico but it's through member um recommendations so it kind of it, it tells a bit of a story of the kind of reading history of Leeds mm. and I really I think that that's one of the best things about smaller collections because obviously it's amazing if you have something like the British Library where you have every book that's been published but kind of I think in a way smaller the kind of incompleteness or, or weirdness or one-offness of, of collections that's actually more interesting sometimes.
1: Yeah it, and it shows you something about a, a little layer of culture
0: that you might not have yeah. known about before. Yeah. yeah. And that your kind of your collection reflects your institution, mm. I think is really really nice. The next thing I kind of wanted to ask about was this idea of of books as uh material artifacts. So obviously if you're working with one-off uh books that don't exist anywhere else, this is probably um more of a kind of a factor, but I'm really interested in this idea of this disconnect between books as kind of uh, vehicles for information which is immaterial and then also um, these kind of amazing artefacts which can be artworks in themselves. So again this is quite a broad question but I'm kind of thinking more yeah, of your background in, in curating and conservation and I wonder if you could talk a bit about what we can learn from books as material objects. Um, rather than just, uh, you know, words on a page.
1: Yeah, this is something that we used to talk about a lot at the portico. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think it probably confronts historic collections. If, 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 to me, it, it felt like it confronted that historic collection more often than, than I found it confronting the collection mm. of Leeds Arts. Um, perhaps that's something to do with the collection there feeling more current Mm-hmm. And having a, a very uh, very deliberate purpose in in providing a physical object for someone to engage with for the purpose of making another physical object Mm. so the physicality is kind of a requirement yeah um whereas i suppose you could argue that it's not necessarily a requirement of of a historic text although you can argue exactly the the opposite to that as well and and so many people have and so much better than i know than i probably (laughs) will um but i mean in terms of in terms of I'm, I suppose because I did a preservation uh, conservation mm. uh, masters, I, it's something that I am committed to, um, and and in in terms of in, in terms of preserving objects, I mean, it's absolutely crucial. I know people talk about you know you can find marginalia, you can mm. read something. Um, read is a misleading term to to use. You can d- you can discover. Facts about a book in the in, in its condition mm. in in the way that it's be, in the ways that it's been damaged, um, in the the materials that have been used to create it, and what that says about wider culture and the availability mm. of those materials. Um, there are endless things you can learn from from an object, a physical object that just aren't present um, yeah. in, the, in the digital alternative, um, and also. I mean, in terms of, a, in terms of a preserving technology, the best, the best technology we have available to us is still a book, yeah. <laughs> it's still a piece of paper. Yeah. In terms of longevity, we haven't actually uh, discovered or been able to prove um, mm. greater efficiency.
0: It's really interesting because I, there's, you know, you can always argue that books are irrelevant um, now that we kind of use the internet for, to find most of our information a lot of the time. But it's. Um, I was looking at um, the kind of the uh, what's it called electronic literature organizations forum where they have loads of um, digital literature, and it's it's really interesting that that's actually really hard to preserve because the programs that these kind of uh, pieces of work are built on will be outdated and they won't work on like contemporary technology. So it's actually much more difficult to preserve digital literature often than it is a kind of. A physical book which is really interesting I and mean, yeah before we started recording we were just looking at um the oldest book we have here which is from the 1400s so and that's you know it feels like new basically because it's been so well preserved
1: yeah yeah it could have been made yesterday yeah. it almost looks like it's a facsimile of of that object yeah. <laughs> it's so perfect um yeah i mean d- digital files are i think pretty much recognized as being more fragile than physical files mm. um, I mean I'm not someone who would argue that one is necessarily better than the other but I don't think they I don't think they, they can be compared or they can be put in this hierarchy um, the loss of one or the other would be both be catastrophic mm. um,
0: yeah, yeah. Um, and well and each has its own kind of qualities that work really well with it and I think that actually probably when you're kind of... Artist books are maybe better at recognising that than, than kind of, you know, an academic textbook where you're right, like, physicality is not so important at all. But when, you know, everything in a piece of artwork is kind of considered and important to the meaning of the work, yeah. then digital text or physical text are going to have more of a, a kind of impact.
1: Absolutely, yeah.
0: But I know this kind of ties into a lot of the work that you... Did at the portico library um and you gave an amazing talk at the ila conference last summer about the preservation project um that you did and the, the kind of guide to conserving books which was really cool but i guess firstly can you give us a bit of context about what the portico library is um and the work it does there and then maybe talk a bit about your role um and how it kind of changed over the years sure when, when you were there
1: yeah um So for anyone who doesn't know uh, the Portico is a historic library built in 1806 and it is located in Manchester City Centre Um, and it was established as a subscription library um, before there were, um, before there were really many public libraries available at all. Um, The 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 library is accessed via this door that you have to kind of discover as you're walking around the streets, <laughs> um, and I mean the description I'm giving at the moment is maybe more more relevant to when I first started there uh, than it is now because I know a huge amount of work has been done to to um, to bring attention to to the portico and what an amazing place it is, um, but when I first discovered it I was brought there by a friend and went up this, rang a buzzer to get in, went up this long and winding staircase that was very unassuming and then stepped through a doorway and was greeted by this incredible painted dome and this open space with floor-to-ceiling books. Um, And it was just this sort of incredible um, surprise. and. when I uh started working there, I was along with the librarian. I was the only other member of staff um, so <laughs> it was a small team <laughs> shall we say <laughs> um, I think there had been various other staff members working there previously, but it was just the way that mm. uh, the way that things had worked out with with staff changeovers and um yeah, the, the, the Portico now is, is, is somewhere that you can um you can go and view exhibitions of the books but also exhibitions of artworks, you can have a cup of tea, you can come and learn about the history of the institution, you can join as a member. Um it's one of uh the most beautiful spaces in Manchester and not mm. known by enough people, although I know I know the tide is turning on that. Um but when I first joined it was it was um Still a relatively quiet place mm. um and then um uh the team sort of grew over the over the coming years, and we all worked together to envisage uh how we could develop the library um and it was a very um organic kind of development and 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 so was my job role to be honest mm. uh, my job role sort of adapted to uh what was needed of me. And uh, where I could, <laughs> it adapted to what it was that I wanted to do. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, and that kind of flexibility and autonomy was incredibly valuable to me as someone uh, early on in my career, I suppose, mm. um, because I got to try so many different things um, and uh, get experience in so many different things. Um, so I started out as the administrative assist- assistant, mm-hmm. and I I'd like to say as well that I had another job at the time. Um, but when the fo- when the portico offered me a full time position, I just dropped the other job instantly <laughs> because I I I couldn't believe it. I found mm. this place and I'd managed to get my foot in the door, and I thought this is too good to be true. So um, even though I probably I think I dropped hours and I probably dropped pay as well and I, like, mm. I was like fully committed to this <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah started as the administrative assistant having had having um, previously been working in museums and art galleries in Manchester um, and from there my role uh, developed and expanded into working on engagement programs, the events program, um, I was even managing the uh, Weddings at one point, um, but uh, it, I kept, I, I seemed to find myself uh, like steering away from the things that I was really interested in mm. uh, at heart, uh, which, which was collections mm. um, and, and history and archives and, and, and books and artworks. These are the kinds of things that I wanted to, to focus on. Um, and I suppose I saw a little bit of a of a niche uh, at the library at the time because there wasn't anyone who had a great deal of knowledge about how to care for and preserve the books. Mm. Um, so I um, I undertook to do a masters in prevention and conservation, and while I was doing that masters and and still working at the library, I started introducing a couple of new practices so that we could. Um, improve the way that we um, handle and, and manage manage the books, um, and I also, as part of my dissertation, put together some research on, um, I suppose, preservation practices in the portico, but also did some surveying of mm. other special collections to see what kind of practices they were using and how well they worked. and. It was really interesting to see the degree to which, you know, policy and practice very often don't meet one another. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) There's the sort of wish list of what you ought to be doing, and then there's the, um, often very difficult realities of working in a small, um, institution Mm. where you don't necessarily have the resources to carry out all the things you need to do, um, so yeah, did some interesting research on on that incredibly niche subject, <laughs> <laughs> um, and and the output was to as you as you mentioned to pr- to kind of produce a concise guide for um, staff working in institutions like the Portico where they mm. have very fragile materials that they're dealing with, but not necessarily the experience or knowledge about how to care for them, how to handle them, um, when to uh, when to provide access, when not to provide access, yeah. <laughs> um, those kinds of things. And I, I, hope, I hope it's been useful. I know that there's a new, um, uh, there's a new collections uh, officer. Mm. I'm not sure what her, her role is, but uh, uh, someone who's working on collections at the Portico now, who's, who's uh, kind of um, taken on that role. And, um, and she said that she found reading that dissertation very useful. Which was nice. It was nice yeah, to know that one know. person is going to
0: find it useful. <laughs> More people than have read my dissertation to date, so. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. Um,
1: yeah, that's that's kind of my uh, yeah. experience at the Portico in a nutshell,
0: I think. Really amazing that you were able to do that that piece of work that was kind of research in, in tandem with working there and then able to, to put that back. And you're right, it is really difficult. And it's certainly something that we find here to work with these kind of, collections of books which are really fragile um and you know we have volunteers who are really keen to to help but sometimes it's it's difficult so I think you've found a really amazing way to kind of get the best of both worlds in a way to to help people be able to engage with the collections but do it in a way that's safe for the books and and for them Mm -hmm. um and it's I mean it's really expensive to get books conserved it can cost hundreds of pounds to get them rebound and um especially if they're in really bad condition
1: yeah yeah exactly um and rebinding isn't always what you want to do yeah. necessarily in some cases the best thing is to conserve the book and in other cases the best thing is to just clean it and preserve it yeah
0: well it goes back to what we were talking about about the kind of the physicality of a book when is it when is that more important than keeping it in a, a kind of readable condition when is the the original bindings or, or the kind of extra stuff that you find in there more important than uh kind of keeping it so that it can stay on the shelves yeah
1: it's um, interesting it, de- it depends on it depends on the value of the book um mm. and, I sp- and i don't just mean monetary value mm. um but yeah i guess uh i, I mean it it is interesting you know there there are many book traders that won't consider a restored book because they'll see the restoration the restoration as an erasure
0: yeah so I mean I imagine each collection that you work with has kind of very different needs um and assessing that is is obviously going to be a massive task do you find that you what a collection needs both in terms of of conserving but also curating um and providing access for do you find that you kind of come into a job and and know immediately or can see immediately what needs to be done um and it's just a matter of finding the funding or the time or is it something that is more of a gradual process and you you learn it over time by working with collections i guess do you find that your relationship to them changes over over the, the years that you get to work with them
1: yeah, uh I su- I suppose so. I mean, when you come into when you come to working with a new collection, um there are some things that you might be able to identify as a need very quickly, mm. um depending on what stage of progress the collection is at. Um for instance, if you if you start a role somewhere where the collection has no policy, that might be something you want to start working on right away because that will Enable you to be able to do so many other things and make so many other necessary decisions. Mm. Um, so I mean, in terms of in terms of good collection management, that like I think librarians are in agreement now about what's good practice, what's not good practice, and you and I think every librarian brings that mm. to to the collection and the work that they're doing. so um so applying that benchmark is a really useful thing and and having that standard is something that you would apply to any 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 collection that you work with um but maybe in terms of the the research and curatorial potential of a collection that takes a little bit more time Mm. to research and understand and delve into and also um, part of that is understanding who your audience is and Mm. what they need And that kind of thing can take a little bit more time to uh to understand before Mm. you before maybe you 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 launch into things but at the same time um i think like i mentioned before sometimes when you arrive at a new collection you can see its potential immediately Mm. and you get so excited and you get so excited about all the other people who are going to feel just as excited (laughs) as you do and you start having ideas and you can you can almost even though you don't know exactly how you're going to carry it out, you can kind of see the vision right yeah. away for all, all, of, all of the possibilities that are there. Um, like for instance, at Leeds Arts University at the moment, um, we've had this big changeover of staff and and, the, and a big break because of the pandemic. So we're kind of visioning out what what we'll be able to do in the future. And the university curator, Mariana Tsiongki, has identified quite quickly that Um, probably something that was known in the institution already anyway, but, um, she's identified that the art collection that's held by the university and the special collections are kind of underutilized in Mm -hmm. terms of engagement with them, in in terms of, um, commissioning artwork from them and research into them. So that's the kind of thing that's going to drive the future Mm -hmm. program. but yeah, you can, you can, you can kind of identify those things, um, right away. But you can't always implement them right, right away. You know, mm-hmm. you mentioned funding, or it might just be some circumstances that have arisen over the lifetime of the institution that prevent you from doing the work that seems so obviously yeah. <laughs> necessary. Um, but the timing is huge, um, and. Uh, coming along at the at the right time is, is is so important sometimes to be able to kick things into action yeah
0: I think you're right about that initial energy because sometimes I think that you can get a bit um uh when you when you've worked with a collection for a long time you maybe you don't you're not as excited about it and I certainly every time someone new comes into the Leeds library there's that same like oh my gosh this place is amazing I can't believe it and I certainly felt like that when I first came and and I still do sometimes but it's you know when you're working in a place every day you kind of lose that um kind of wonder or excitement so yeah I definitely think that kind of that initial energy is really exciting and and good to be able to work with
1: yeah yeah and I think it can be renewed as well I Mm. think it's um we we don't often uh we don't often like Ask that of ourselves to sort mm. of okay, put some time aside in in your diary this week to go and get excited about the collections yeah. again. <laughs> but it's probably a really good idea um, because I, I had the same experience, um, particularly at the portico. You know, you become very clouded in in all of the the tasks that you need to yeah. do in order to like have had a good week. <laughs> um, that you that 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 your enthusiasm for the actual collection can become a little bit mystified and a little bit, um, a, a little bit lost. Um, and then when somebody new comes in and shows you the research that they're doing, or mm. is really curious about a particular topic, um, you're reminded of of what an incredible treasure that you're working with. Um,
0: so, so yeah, maybe that's what we should start doing. Yeah, well, that's why engagement work is really important as well, actually, and and why it's so interesting because you do, you do really have to stop and think okay what is going to get a 14 year old really interested in this Mm -hmm, collection mm -hmm. what would have got me really interested in the collection at this stage what's going to get a child interested in the collection what's going to get someone who's in their kind of 30s interested so Mm. it's that's really interesting to um to kind of look at it from different angles and and find different niches and little bits of of extra stuff that you um you know maybe you don't find interesting but someone else would or yeah um, yeah absolutely
1: yeah. that's that's one really really nice thing that i've been able to start doing at at the university is um putting on very small scale exhibitions mm. they're just big enough to be like manageable <laughs> <laughs> within my workload um but just two or three a year varies very small scale and and they're they're usually just internal um, mm. for for staff and students to see the special collections. Although they can be seen by appointment, on occasion as well. Um, but um, but yeah, I'm, I'm I feel incredibly happy to to have the opportunity to be able to say, okay, there's a new exhibition coming yeah. up, and this means that I can put two days aside to just like reacquaint myself with the collection yeah. and, and, and where become do, enthused by it again.
0: Where do those come from then? You, is that just when you're kind of work, you looking after the books and then you get an idea and, and then do some research? Um, um, well, the f- first
1: one I did was um, kind of inspired by a new acquisition that we had to mm-hmm. um, the archive Um, Judith Cash who kind of created the Paper Chase brand had been a student of uh, Leeds College of Art in the 50s Um, and she recently passed away and her uh, son donated the dissertation that she had made when she was a student at the college Um, and she'd handwritten and hand-illustrated with gouache paintings and uh, it was illustrated with her photographs and and all kinds of things this book which was bound and it's, it's unbelievable it's quite a long book she's yeah. handwritten the whole thing oh gosh. <laughs> um wow yeah and it's all about um it's called pigeons and pigeon men and mm-hmm. it's uh, and and it starts out as her um story of the story of herself wandering around Barnsley trying to find inspiration for her art project and she finds these guys, uh, these pigeon fanciers and she's sort of like loitering around watching what they're doing and they finally invite her to come and Mm. um, look in the pigeon loft and they start telling her all these incredible facts about pigeons and this sort of ignites the fascination for her with these birds who are often looked down upon. Um, but historically have also had a really high status mm. because they were used in the war and they're carrier pigeons and, um, you know, this kind of really interesting, like closely connected history we actually have with these birds who just like yeah. live among us. <laughs> um, so, so I was inspired by, by her book and, yeah. um, and then I just started digging in the collection to find other things that I could display to, to that. that. Mm. Um, and yeah other things other things come up here and there you just find something in the collection and yeah. you think i want to show this and how can i expand on it or um or sometimes there might be um you know certain uh topics or themes like sustainability that are really important to the institution mm. um so we might find a way to
0: to explore some ideas around that and put on a display for that that sounds absolutely amazing and so interesting and you you can see them by appointment is that uh Right, or are they mostly just kind of, uh, internal? So the, the way that they're
1: laid out at the moment is that the, um, the, the displays are so, sort of in these, like, like little corners and pockets throughout okay. the university building. So in order to see them, what you'd need to do is, is email the library and make an appointment okay. for somebody, so that somebody could come in and basically chaperone you around the building and give you some time to look at them. Um, the um the, the university does have its own gallery as mm-hmm. well which is publicly accessible um and the program has been on hiatus over the pandemic but is uh, reopening at the end of this month um so you'll s- hopefully start to see more news yeah. about exhibitions from these arts university circulating Wonderful. yeah really
0: exciting um i my final question seems i'm not sure um your thoughts uh to it but I basically wanted to ask you about the the kind of the differences between working with contemporary collections and historic collections and if you have a preference <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> um I think my personal preference is probably working with historic collections mm. I've I've kind of like I studied history of art for my BA, mm. and then I did a contemporary curating MA, and then I w- went to work at the historic library, and now I'm working at a place where work is being made in the very building, um, and so I, th- I think I usually just come back to, to feeling more at home among historical yeah. books and his- and the historic uh, items and those, I don't know, something about the... I just like reading. <laughs> I think maybe that's got a lot to do with it as well. I like reading about the past. So, um, I think that's probably my personal preference, but I I really, really enjoy being just, like, among this community of young people who mm. are there and having their university art school experience and making things and collaborating with one another. and like right at the beginning of their uh well not maybe not right at the beginning but like early on in their kind of journey of discovery of like who they are and what work they're going to make and all the things they've yet to discover about the history of the world and the art world and how that all works good and bad (laughs) (laughs) um so um yeah, yeah. Um, I don't, uh, it's I think tricky, I have a preference. It's a difficult question. Yeah. I, I'm not missing the historical yeah. <laughs> that much at the moment, because I'm enjoying what I'm doing that much. But yeah. I suppose
0: you have older texts there as well, if they're, even if they're kind of fewer. We have the odd one. one, yeah. 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 But I, I mean, that kind of middle ground between kind of um, art and, and books and literature and heritage and kind of... Uh, contemporary work and historic work is a a middle ground that I'm obsessed with as well and Mm. I also was kind of went to art college and then literature and then this is kind of a mixture of both as well this library so
1: yeah yeah but
0: I think it's really exciting and and actually as opposed to just a an art gallery or a, a public library there's so much scope to do interesting work and I think that's what obviously kind of the area that you work in and, and me as well, um, to a certain extent. And I, I really kind of, uh, that's what really excites me. <laughs> mm,
1: yeah. Yeah. Me too. I, I feel very lucky to have found, found two roles really. I mean, the, the, the Portsco because there's such a dynamic mm. visual arts program there. Um, it was actually quite an easy transition to go from working in that environment yeah. to working at an art school library. Um, and, and yeah, I feel really lucky to have, to, have, to have had those roles where I've been able to blend all those things that interest me.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for chatting to me. This has been super interesting. This has been a podcast from the Leeds Library. Links to more information about our guests and any works talked about can be found in the description. If you'd like to find out more about the Leeds Library and any of our upcoming events, please visit our website at www.theleedslibrary.org.uk or you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at the Leeds Library. Thank you for listening, and keep your eyes and ears peeled for more Tales from the Leeds Library in our future episodes released every Wednesday.